Welcome to the sesquicentenary episode of the Lend Academy podcast. Yes, we are at episode 150. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy and co-founder of Lend at Fintech. Support for Lend Academy comes from Wonder Capital, the easiest way to invest in large-scale solar energy projects across the US. With Wonder, you can earn up to 7.5% annually while helping to finance renewable energy primary. Wonder Capital, where impact investing meets capitalism. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Frederick Enze. He is the CEO and founder of Oakham. Oakham is an interesting company. They're based in the UK. They are a micro lender, but they're doing it all pretty much on the mobile phone these days. So we talk about, you know, how they got started. They've been around for over a decade. Uh, we talk about how they are underwriting these customers that are applying for loans. These are reasonably high risk customers applying for loans on mobile phones. And we talk about their unique psychometric testing that they use to help them underwrite. That's really a fascinating piece that we don't into in some detail. Yeah, we talk about loan formats, we talk about who's funding the loans, and much more. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Frederick. Thank you, Peter. Happy to be on the show with you today. Great. Happy to have you. So let's get started. Just you know, I'd like to start these things off by giving the listeners a little bit of background about yourself, what you've done in your career to date. Sure. So let's go back all the way back to the beginnings. Uh, my background has been in, uh, in decision science, not in the financial services sector. So I started in the defense sector in France working for a company called Dassault. It was the second wave of AI development across industry. So before the, the last AI winter, I was involved in uh, developing an electronic co-pilot for a fighter jet. And uh, so that was my the early days of uh, looking at how data could be used to replace human decisioning. On the back of that, I joined American Express, uh, first in France, then in the UK, and uh, after that in the US, where I was working on fraud prevention uh, software and, you know, everything to do with lending with consumer and SMEs. And finally, the last part, I started to move away from decision science into how, you know, I joined General Electric, G Capital, where I worked on the... Uh, development of their lending business outside the U.S., so in emerging markets mostly, and the integration of business we were acquiring into the GE Capital stable. And so that was the corporate part of my career. Then when I came back to the U.K., and it was the last stunt uh, with, uh, with Barclays, where I was heading the consumer lending business here, and this is where probably the final, the final encounter was what has become open started, and I decided to jump from large corporate to go for a startup route. So I, I created the first startup called Heuristics, which was about you know, data, big data consultancy. And on the back of it, I created Oakum. So this is my second startup. Okay, so then what, what led then to the, to the creation of Oakum? What, what, sort of, what was the thing that you saw that, that really was a catalyst for, for starting the company? I think the main one was probably the... Uh, I had worked along my career on how to improve, you know, decisioning in risk, so credit decision. And when I worked at GE outside, you know, mature markets, so in places like Brazil and other places, I encountered 
consumer that were completely off the grid. So I encountered consumers that were difficult to KYC, so prove their identity or their address, who most of the time didn't have payslips and all of the time didn't have a credit history. So it was an interesting thing coming from a model which is dominated by, you know, a FICO score and an experienced credit bureau, you know, and I categorize it like a little bit of a circular model where you have to be in the model to be able to progress in the model to go to a place where you didn't have a starting point. If you have no credit history, how can you use scorecard and vice versa? So when I you know, returned to the UK and realized the wave of migrant that was coming and the, the issue it was created for the bank, I thought it was an interesting opportunity to attack. That gave me also the link back to home. So I'm originally from Central Africa, Congo, and I always wanted to find some part of financial service where I could find a, a link back to home. So being able to open a business in Sub-Saharan Africa and be able to have an impact in the areas where the percentage of N-Bank and the bank is significant. Hmm. Okay. So then maybe you could just step back and, and tell us about Oakham. What what exactly you offer, what are the products you offer, and, a, and where you operate? Sure. So I think, you know, for most people listening to the show, it's like, you know, we are, from a product perspective, a very typical micro-lender. So we lend to the bottom of the pyramid. So in the UK, we lend to, you know, mostly the bottom two decile of income, but we go as far as the, the fourth decile, and uh, to migrants, so people who are, haven't got any credit history. Most, you know, customers want small loans. That's the definition of the micro lending spectrum. So we generally offer loans that will start at, you know, $150 and they can go all the way to $7,500. Yeah. Uh, for terms that will be mostly six months, we're going all the way to three years. So if you look at that as a percentage of the, uh, the loan as a percentage of income is very dissimilar to what you would see in, in Mexico, in Uganda, or in India. So we're a very typical micro lender when it comes to the amount disbursed. We're very atypical in the way we approach it. So micro lending has been has a dominant model across the world. You know, in the UK, it's uh, the doorstep lending model, where you have someone with cash coming and knocking on people's door, making a face-to-face human underwriting uh, decision, and uh, collecting as well as disbursing the cash. And what we've done is we gradually looked at how we could challenge every piece of that model and move it to a smartphone. So we are smartphone-based, digital, you know, micro-lender. So I just want to step back there. You, do people still today knock on people's doors and offering them micro-loans? Is that, is that still happening in 2018? It actually does, yeah, a lot. You know, well, it was a surprise I had when I, I was thinking of setting up open. Originally, I thought, you know, we will do mostly, we will deal mostly with migrants coming to the UK, helping them build credit history and move to mainstream. And as we were doing that, we had consumers knocking on our door saying, but why are you helping, you know, Polish or Nigerian customer and you're not helping UK born? And I assumed that they had everything they needed as provision of credit. And uh, they had very little choice. And the, the market here, you know, the doorstep market is quite a significant market very concentrated. The, the, the leader in the market has close to 80% market share. The second one is around you know, 10% of the market share. And we're just behind it at five. Uh, so you know, in, in a year, about a year's time, we should be number two in this market. And the two, the two, number one and number two have been operating for more than 130 years. Wow. With a business model that, ha- that hasn't changed much. So what is interesting is that sector is a little bit of what you had at the end of the industrial revolution where 
people were paid weekly and banks were not offering consumer lending. And what you had is you had people coming at home and selling you uh, anything on advance. So, you know, you had uh, itinerant uh, traders who'd come to people's home and sell garment on a weekly collect. So some of that has led to the creation of the catalog business in the UK, very successful, and they have they have translated to digital businesses. So most of the old catalog business in the UK are not completely digital, but the doorstep lender a few years ago still had something close to, you know, 13,000 agents in the UK. Wow, that, that's quite amazing. Yeah, so it's a, it's a big surprise. Yeah, it's super high maintenance. <laughs> yes, yeah, that is, um, yeah, that's, that's a costly way to go and find customers, particularly when it comes to small small dollar loans. So maybe when you talked about migrants, um, you talked about people who are in the UK, can you maybe give us some perspective on on the the typical Oakham customer? Tell us a little bit about them. So it's probably now around two-thirds, one-third. So one-third of our customers will be thin file. So what I mean by that is people who have been in the United Kingdom for anything from less than, you know, less than a year, so six months plus to three years, yeah? Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult to actually apply for most financial products, even, you know, having a contract on a mobile phone contract instead of a pay-as-you-go, if you have less than three years of proven addresses here. And the reality is a lot of the consumer, when the migrants, when they come here the first year, because they're not too sure how successful their migration process will be, they are sharing a flat with five others, and they have no utility bill, no way to prove their address, so that extends a little bit further down. So we have people who've been like five years in the UK, they still have a very thin file. And for them, everything is about creating a, a credit footprint and being able, when they feel comfortable, and this, is a, this has become their home, that they can move their family and gradually access, you know, a loan for a deposit on the house, uh, then a car loan, then you know for some of them SME loan, then mortgages. So they want to get they want to get on a bureau, yeah, and that's, they use Oakham to get access to mainstream. And the other side is the low income UK consumer who are excluded not because they haven't got a bank account, but because they they are permanently low income, so they they don't have an upward trajectory, and what they need is the flexibility of being able to borrow frequently small amounts. So this is your typical small dollar loan that you see in the U.S. with a big difference, which is a small dollar loan in the U.S. is very oriented to single payment, uh, so like, like payday loan, where here we have a thriving micro-lending sector going from the you know, non-for-profit all the way to the, the doorstep that has you know, listed on stock markets and very profitable. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then if these people are sort of, you know, I always think it's 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 uh, the biggest challenge you have, and obviously you've you've cracked it to some extent at least, is is finding these customers because you can't just get a you know a file from the credit bureaus and go market to these people. So how do you find these customers? So we bootstrapped the business by doing a lot of community marketing. So if you think of our business, you know, because we're attacking a, a dominant player that has very long term relationship with customers, we we started by the periphery. We looked at people that were underserved. So if you take anybody who's from a community where credit is not widely distributed, but also is not widely marketed, it is actually very cheap to go on a TV program watched by a certain community. So if you have a large community, let's say in the US, you have a Korean community, they have their own TV channels, and they're not getting as targeted as mainstream. So you end up advertising at a fraction of the cost that you would have to get the same eyeball if you were going into a mainstream channel. Hmm. So what we found is community marketing has been number one for us. Then because these communities are very tightly linked, 
referral has been a very good source of uh, customer and also a source of good customer because referral has helped us into the risk underwriting. So, you, you know, you know that it's very difficult for you and your cousin, for example, to apply for a loan. You get a, a good service with Ocum. Next time someone in your family wants to apply, you recommend Ocum. So we found this is our second source. And now for the core of what our competitors are doing, we're doing you know, mainstream TV, but we're getting very targeted. We say, if you're dealing with company ABC, you can save money by moving to us. So we're now frontally attacking the doorstep lenders. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. So major- majority of our advertising is TV, community channel, a mainstream channel, a little bit of social media. And then historically, we had like really guerrilla marketing. You know, if I go back five years ago, we were advertising in community centers. We were doing training for people from certain community who wanted to apply for jobs, helping them to do CVs. We were going to churches. We were, you know, we were doing like on the, you know, field marketing. We stopped doing that because now we have created a brand and a reputation and we don't need to do that as much. Right, got it. Okay, so then when these customers are actually applying for a loan, is this... You mentioned smartphones. I mean, like what percentage of the of the customers are coming in and applying for the loan on their phone? So this is the biggest shift we've seen over the last five years. If I look at uh, you know, even four years ago, we had something like 40% of our application was still coming from people walking into a store on the back of a TV ad or something. And then we had, you know, something like the other 60 were, you know, coming on the web and either calling us but they were coming on the web using a combination of desktop, you know, from an internet cafe, for example, tablets or phone. This year, we have 95% of the customers are coming from, you know, mobile phone and, a little, you know, 92. And then the rest is like mostly tablets and 4% only are walking into a store. So how do, they, how do they walk into a store? Do you have physical locations around the UK? Yeah, we have physical location, but we have scaled much more aggressively on the smartphone and um, our mobile apps than we have on on on, uh, on retail. We have used retail to uh, gain the knowledge about underwriting and to develop our psychometric uh, underwriting. And we we have now that we have the data on how to do that, we're now doing everything automatically through the smartphone. Right, right, okay. So let's let's talk about that. You know, how you are underwriting these loans because as you've said yourself the, the there's there's not a whole lot of data available on a lot of these people what are some of the tools you're using to kind of to predict risk when you don't have the data you want yeah so if you think you know the traditional you know, I don't know it was the credit model was you look at someone and it was collateral capital you know credit capacity and and character yeah and in our situation they don't, you know, customers don't have collateral. They don't have collateral, it's a collateral capital. And they don't have credit history. So we left with character and capacity. So when we started, it was very much about, first, I'm going to establish your ability to repay. So if you want our version one of Wokum was very much, you know, quite an intensive, you know, interview to understand where your existing budget, yeah, because we didn't people have like, and certain income, for example, the Uber driver, and they don't know how much they then learn earning two two weeks. So we're trying to assess their capacity to service the loan. Mm-hmm. And the second piece was to assess the character. And you know, it was very interesting when we we were we were doing mostly data about um, data analysis about our underwriters. So in our first model, we thought, you know what, 
I don't really know how Peter is deciding that Courtney is a good risk, you know? So what I, but what I want to do is how do I find more Peter? So we were, and, you know, we were looking at all our underwriters and we were classifying them with um, how well the customers they were recruiting were paying. Mm-hmm. So our first level of underwriting was very much how do I select people who are very good decision makers when they're in their community, you know, facing people. And then we start to interview the best underwriters. Say, okay, you're the expert. You know, it'll be like, you're a pilot. I'm going to look at how you react to different situations so I can program the simulator. So we went to all the people who had a you know, very low loss rate and say, what do you do when you're in front of a consumer? And they told us they had their own heuristics. They were saying, you know, if I have an appointment at 10 o'clock, I see who arrives early, that's a few points. I see how much they're spending on the, you know, what brands they have and where they do their shopping. If they go through like super discount, you know, grocery stores, that's positive. You know, so they were looking at sign of being thrifty, sign of being organized. So if they're coming and they had a very clear view of their budget, so in their head, they started to pick up characteristics that were very positive. And so we've asked them to capture these in a little, you know, text at the end of each decision. And the first approach, so second approach, so Open V2, was we started to do some text mining. So we said, okay, we have a lot of instruction data, and we're going to try to find what are the answers that consumers are giving to certain questions, and can we put these questions online and see if we get the same type of answers, then we can automate it. That was pretty tricky because, as I mentioned earlier, we're dealing with, you know, with um, migrants. We also have an element of language. So we tried that, and then we, we stumbled across uh, an approach that was using psychometrics through pictures. So we approached City University, and we asked them to sign up with us a three-year contract where we do some R&D together. We're supporting a few PhD students, and we went about saying, is that a characteristic we're looking at? Is there another way to find them by either asking customers to play a game or to pick up choices? You know, so we put four pictures in front of people and say, when you're stressed, what do you do? And we give a choice of like going outdoor and doing some exercise, you know, going home and spending time with the family, you know, going to the pub or the bar and drink. You know, so, and we'd, people have a very short time to respond. And what, to respond. what we found is that there was a very, very strong correlation to the choices they were making and certain characters that were linked to fraud and good payment behavior. So that's version three of open. So we moved from getting an expert to take decisions and experimenting. So we were happy to take losses on people. It was like very much, you're the underwriter, you take the decision. We're going to figure out how you take it and see if we can automate it. So trying to, you know, train the machine, observing experts. And second is we use text mining. And third, which is what what we are now, is based on picture, completely automated. Right. So they're doing this on the phone. You've got like a, a psychometric test that that they not on the phone, completely automated. Right. The customer does it on the app or on the web. How, how long does so it take? So we've moved from. Oh, it's not very long. You know, we we started where you needed twenty five questions because you know to get a profile, and we now like with around thirteen, sixteen questions, you can get a very accurate profile for what we're looking for. That's which fascinating. Which is fraud and default. That is fascinating. Yeah, so, and because the questions are picture based, the idea is the user experience is to be quite quick because you don't want them to think too much about how we're trying to reverse engineer it. So it's very much, here it is, what would you do? And you have to click and you get the next one. And based on the first question you have, the second question might be slightly different. So we, we haven't been able, but it's like, you know, 
hundreds and hundreds of thousands of data points to see first experiment, how well people are paying, how much we're getting, then we go second experiment. So we've been doing a lot of A-B tests for the last few years to get to where we are now right. and uh, you know, investing some R&D with, you know, with academia. Right, that's really interesting. And I'm curious, are you using this really just to make a binary choice around fraud or, or are you using this also to sort of to put them on a risk spectrum? How are you using the results of this psychometric testing? No, they, we put them into a risk spectrum. So, and the spectrum for two dimensions. So I'll give you a simple example. You know, so let's say that at the end of the, uh, the questionnaire, we're, we're comfortable with your risk profile in terms of we're comfortable you're not a fraudster. Now we need to decide, are we lending to you 10% of your monthly income or 50% of your monthly income? You know, how much can you service? So to do this, we now we look at, we, we're looking at self-declared information. So you're saying, I think I can service a debt of like, I don't know, $50 a month. But if we know that you have a tendency to be over-enthusiastic and if you're a risk taker, we know that you have higher chances to also do some occasional gambling. So if you say you can, you can, actually, you can service $50, we're going to put a haircut and say, actually, to be safe, let's do $30. So we're using the psychometrics to rank people on, you know, the element of affordability, the element of what risk they will be exposed to in the future. You think, you know, if you have three kids and you're a single mom, there'll be more un, uh, you know, uh, unexpected expenses and how you would react to this. You know, for example, if you, some, of, some customers we see are very resilient and they're happy to shrink their budgets when they have an expe- you know, unexpected expenses, others will want to continue to keep up with the journalists when there's a problem and they end up in arrears. So mm-hmm. that's the type of things we pick up. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. So I've I've got to ask you about regulation now. I mean, I I presume you're regulated mm-hmm. by the FCA, but some of the things that you're you're talking about there, I'm just wondering how comfortable regulators are around psychometric testing. Um, so maybe you could just talk a little bit about you know how you're regulated and how your relationship with the regulators is. Yeah. So we are fully regulated by the FCA. This the sector, the micro lending sector, is is actually one that has more rules and regulation than the, uh, the, the, the mainstream consumer lending and on the back of treating customers fairly. So there's, a, there's some extra rules to make sure that customers are protected. So in a way, that makes operating in micro-lending in the UK harder than operating micro-lending, let's say, in, in Mexico or in India. But it also, you know, the favorable part of it is it raises barriers to entry, in a sense. So we, are, I think that, you know, our experience with the regulator is we I think the FCA is one of the most commercial regulators I came across in the different jurisdictions I've worked with. And they are extremely data-oriented. So what we found is that they are happy to listen to an argument as long as you're fact-based. So if you say that you can underwrite and have a level of default that is better and by not doing certain elements of affordability check or by, doing, by using other methods and alternative data, as long as it's evidenced by the outcome from the consumer, they are happy with it. So you have to engage and you have to demonstrate. So, you know, so occasionally we have long letters and presentations and things like that, but they are, they've always been open to listen and very supportive because also they know that we are providing competition in a sector that hasn't seen much for many, many years. The players, you know, they, they have, there hardly has been any new entrants. There's few tiny new entrants on the charity side and social, but for-profit were the only new entrants of size in the last 20 years. Mm, interesting. So they know that, you know, when you have one market, you have one of their elements is to protect consumer. The other one is to encourage competition to make sure 
that these consumers are getting choices. And when, you know, our main competitor is 80% share of the market as being successful is also supporting one of the agenda items of the FCA. Right, right, got it. Okay, so I, I want to talk a little bit about loan performance. You know, given, I mean, I think you've, you've been around for more than a decade, I believe. So you've gone through many, many, you know, cycles of your loan book. So tell us something about loan performance and how, how this sort of new approach compares to what you were doing, you know, five years ago. Yeah, so two dimensions of loan performance. One is how it evolves over time and the relationship with customer. And the other dimension is how it varies across communities and channels. Mm-hmm. So what we have is, you know, when we see a customer face-to-face versus when you see uh, people online, face-to-face provide a natural protection on fraud. is like fraudsters are not as comfortable to come and, and sit down and have a 20-minute conversation. So we see that fraud attempts are significantly higher online. So we needed to be more sophisticated at the start when we moved the majority online, our fraud level went up. You know, so that's the first thing is like, this is a, uh, there is a reason why this market hasn't been cracked before, you know, through normal credit score. It's just online, you have more fraud. Yeah? And so that's the, the reason why you know, we have to go to alternative data. We're now at a point where we, so if you think of ranking all our underwriters, psychometric methods, is beating 80% of the underwriters we have out there, but we still have 20% of humans who can take better decisions than any scorecard of psychometrics we've been able to develop. Interesting. So what we found is like, so we so it's really like you know, you know, AI versus you know, chess, Kasparov or AI playing Go. It's just like there was a point where this was cracked, and even the, the world champion and grandmaster were beaten. But today we're still in a space where there is something that some of our underwriters, 20% of them, can do that enables them to grant a loan to more people than we do when we do automatically online and still have a lower level of default than the machine generates. So some of it is just the relationship they built. They raise the default stigma. So if, you know, if I meet you face-to-face and you think I was very friendly, it's no longer you know, an impersonal loan. It's, you feel like you borrowed money from Frederick and Frederick was there to help you at time of distress, which is very different from you went online, it was, there was nobody you talked to and you got a process and the money was in your account. So there's, there's a psychological element that is very difficult to replicate online. So we're still trying different, different methods to see how we can pick up that mechanism, the last 20%. But the calculation for us was very simple. It is very difficult to replicate these 20% super performers. So when you have to scale, and you know, look, last year our application volume went up by 300%, we could not recruit fast enough people of that level of quality and expertise to swallow the size of business. Right. So, so it was not a choice. We had to go more online and accept that we will face more fraud and we will not be able to beat the best performance of that we between the other 80%. So that's the first thing, channel versus, you know, so online versus face-to-face. The, the other one is, you know, this model, you know, if you think of the fact that for our customers, there's a big transaction cost of actually applying. So most of our customers tell, you know, will tell you that, the first thing they have is they're fearful of applying because most of the time they are declined. So, and when they decline, it makes the chance of being approved the next time even worse because you have an extra search on the bureau. So every time you try and get declined, the next one you apply for, you have less chance to be, able to be approved. So our customers don't want to apply to too many places. That's one. So having a reputation for being a, a business that is 
more flexible because you have a scorecard that takes into account other dimensions, not just what is on the credit bureau, has a, as a benefit that people will try with you first because you have a high chance of getting through the door. And when they with you, if they're happy with the service, there's a higher level of repeat. So customers three months, six months later say, oh, I need another loan or I have another emergency. And they'll come and they know that now that they've been good payers with us, not only the chance of being approved is significantly higher, you know, you're now in the 90% of being approved, but also you can borrow a cheaper rate and a higher amount. So that's the main difference we had in our business model is that we've created a, uh, what we call the Yoakum ladder that gives you progressive pricing. So every single one of our customers starts at a rate that is very similar to the, the competition, but after 12 months, they could have as, you know, the best, the best payers can go as low as 75% cheaper than what the competition offers. Hmm. Interesting. And I, I mean, can we just touch on the rates for a second? I, mm-hmm. I know that, you know, you, you, you're not competing obviously with the, with the Zopas and rate setters of the world. So, but what, what are the, the rates that you, that you charge typically? What's the so range? The, the, in the range. So in, in the UK, we have what we call a rate cap, which is the maximum you can charge for a micro loan is 0.8 per day. And, for a new customer that is higher risk, you know, we will charge 0.76. So our highest rate is 0.76 per day. You know? And after a year, a customer will be around. So the range in terms of annual rates will be between 36% to 200, and from memory, 288 or something. Like that. So that's the, uh, the, the range in terms of annual rate. Right. So again, you know, this, you know, when you think of it for customers like us, um, mainstream lending, they all like 100% that is very high. The reality for our customers is that we're looking at it, it's a small loan. So if you're borrowing 200 pounds, the choice you have sometimes is borrowing or being faced by a non-sufficient charge on your bank or, you know, being uh, disconnected of service on some other services like utility. So they make, you know, a lot of our customers actually make the, the difference in cost. Saying, if I don't pay you know, my utility bill, they will charge me £30 extra. And if I borrow from you, you're going to charge me £20, so I'm actually saving money. So the way we look at it is the rate is in comparison with the charges they would have been charged otherwise. Right, right. Yeah, I get it. I get it. We're almost out of time, but I've got a couple more couple more questions I want to get in here. So sure. I want to talk about the, the funding side of your business. Obviously, you are, mm-hmm. you are um, you know, providing capital these cus- to these uh, customers. Where are you getting your capital from? Who are the, who are the providers for you? So we have an equity provider, Campus Square Capital, is a private equity based here in the UK, but they're backed by, by um, most of our LPs are US companies, so University Endowment, et cetera. And on, on the debt side, we are partners with Victory Park Capital, a Chicago-based uh, debt fund operating in the US, a lot with uh, tech lenders, fintech players, but also now more and more in uh, Europe and emerging markets. So these are the two capital providers we have. Right. Okay. And then, so are you reporting the the payments on your loans to to the credit bureaus in the UK? For sure. This, yeah. This is the most important thing we've done. Is from day one when we opened our business, we reported, and we were actually uh, we lobbied in the at the start to make sure that all the doorstep lenders would also report because some of them, you know, the, some of the large ones were not reporting which created a little bit of a captive market. So they were the only ones to know how well people were paying and they were not sharing that information. So we fully report you know, right. and we use multiple bureaus. Great, yeah. great. Okay, so um, so then where, where are you taking this? What's your, what's, what's your goal here? It sounds like you've got a, 
you know, the, you've still got a lot of runway ahead within this space, but are you looking internationally? Are you looking at just focusing on the UK, getting more market share there or adding new products or what, what's, what's the future hold? Yeah, so in the UK, there's a very exciting runway ahead of us because we, you know, as I mentioned earlier, these markets have been, haven't seen many entrants and we've, we've moved from attacking the periphery. So if you think of it, when we started the business, we, we only played with consumers that didn't have all the choice or very neat into the sector. And now the last two years, we've been attacking the core of it. So people who were actually borrowing from the doorstep established businesses and we're taking market from them thanks to the, the, the pricing, the app, et cetera. We, you know, for us, we're, we're not a startup, but we're high growth. And this year, for example, the last two months, we've been growing month on month, you know, more than double digits. You know, February and March, we grew by 70% in one month. We're really gathering a lot of market share. It's, uh, it's working strongly. So we have a few product extension we, we're planning to launch in the UK. But a lot of our effort is to make the app going deeper in the usage of uh, what customers can do with a mobile app. So we're not just about lending. We're about nudging the right you know, financial behavior, distributing nudges of financial education, you know, trying to get people to budget better. So we try to turn the, the, our mobile app into a platform where customers can access cheaper products, non-lending products. So we, we're looking at opening API to other, you know, remittances, you know, cards, et cetera, to come and collaborate with us. So that's the plan for the UK. And because, you know, what we've been able to do is to look at how you underwrite in places where people have no footprint, we believe that the most exciting growth is in area where credit bureau having you know established the dominant model, the FICO and experience. So there's a lot of places today in the world where you have large demographics, mostly in the banks with very strong smartphone penetration, where we can do what we've done in the UK. And that's what we're looking at now uh, with our capital providers to say how we can create, you know, replicate what we've done here in these other markets. All right. Okay. Well, it's fascinating. I, I, I wish you all the best, uh, Frederick, and thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. Okay. See ya. See ya. This whole idea of psychometric testing is really interesting to me, particularly when it's applied to underwriting. It means you can go into populations, you can go into markets where there is no financial data or even no data of any kind, and you can still you know, do fraud detection, you can do risk analysis based on a simple test on a smartphone. This will allow, I think, more and more people, the billions of people who are still underserved today over the next 10 years, I can I can see us you know, bringing you know, pretty much all of those people into sort of the mainstream financial system. And that is going to be a huge opportunity. Companies like Oakham are, are at the cutting edge of that. And uh, there are obviously others around the world that are also working on this. But I find, I find it personally fascinating that we can make these predictive decisions uh, based on models built with this uh, psychometric testing. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Today's episode was sponsored by Wonder Capital. What if you could help businesses across the US go solar while earning up to 7.5% annually? Since 2015, individuals have invested tens of millions of dollars using Wonder Capital's solar investment platform. These individuals have helped to finance nearly 200 large-scale solar energy projects across the US. Alongside individual investors, Wonder also works with financial institutions like a prominent Wall Street hedge fund that recently invested over $100 million with Wonder. If you're interested in helping businesses go solar while earning up to 7.5% annually, go to wondercapital.com slash lendacademy. 
Wonder Capital, where impact investing meets capitalism.